Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. Here are your hosts, John from Global Recon and Mike from Fieldcraft LLC, giving you the matter of facts. GlobalRecon.net, FieldcraftSurvival.com. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I'm on with Mike Glover, the co-host of the show. Mike recently dropped his minimalist survival kits. Uh, they're available on his website. Um, people are buying them. It's good stuff. Mike, how's that going? Hey, hey guys, it's Mike from Fieldcraft. Hey, what's up, John? Hey, man, it's going good. Um, and in special operations, we got a term called task saturated. I'm, I'm task saturated right now between social media and, and trying to keep up orders. I appreciate uh, all the all the supporters and, and everybody's patience. Um, the minim, the minimalist uh, Green Beret survival kit is doing well, and then we just dropped yesterday. We just dropped the uh, minimalist first aid kit, which is just a kit that's broken down, and you know all all my kits come in like four by six that fit in you know glove compartments and center consoles and uh so the minimalist first aid kit dropped and it's it's meant to address massive hemorrhaging um it doesn't address airway and respiration but it's made for abrasions small scuffs and and just things that you'd see you know on the hiking trail and potentially uh you know any issues that you run into medically uh i got i got a rat tourniquet in there a rapid application tourniquet because of the reduced signature and size. And uh, you, you can catch that on my website at fullcraftsurvival.com in the store. Um, and I, and I, I just dropped a couple of things on Facebook and uh, some breadcrumbs on social media, on Instagram. So, again, yeah, thanks for the support and, and look forward to uh, getting that equipment to you guys and uh, facilitating the training. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, later this year, we have some training events that we're in the planning process of setting up in New York City and then possibly other locations across the United States, um, which will be a combination of Mike teaching survival and mindset and two from Ronin Tactics teaching hand-to-hand and knife fighting. Um, so we're, we're going to organize that a little better, and then we'll drop more information as it's available. And we just want to uh, give a thank you to everybody who's listening, downloading, subscribing, commenting on iTunes, because that helps uh, put our show in the top of the category, the government category. So we encourage you guys to continue to do it, and we'll continue to bring the best shows that we can. So for this episode, I interviewed a Marsoc Marine who is holding a memorial ruck march uh, for the seven Marsoc Marines who were killed last year in a training accident off the coast of Florida. And and then he's going to talk about his organization and break down the event, which is a 700-mile ruck march from the the closest spot to where the helicopter went down to the Marsoc headquarters in North Carolina. And then from there, uh, Mike's going to interview uh, one of his friends who uh, he served with a special forces soldier, and his friend was uh, killed in combat. So he's going to have his wife on, and they're going to discuss some of the uh, so what it's like being married to a special forces soldier, and then what it's like losing one. So that's uh, very interesting, and we uh, we hope you guys enjoy this episode. So now we're going to go into the interview with the Marsoc Marine. Hey, what's up, everyone? 
I'm on here with Nate, and Nate is the founder of the Marine Raider Memorial March. So Nate is a Marine Raider from Marsoc. He's been in the Marine Corps for nearly 12 years. Ten of those have been with Marsoc. So last year, there was a training accident, and seven Raiders from the 2nd Raider Battalion were killed, along with four Louisiana National Guardsmen uh, during the helicopter crash. So this event is done and to honor their buddies who passed away last year. So I'm going to hand it over to Nate and Nate's going to explain in further detail what is going on. Yeah. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Um, a little bit about the, uh, the background of the, uh, of the training accident. So it happened on the evening of March 10th, 2015. So we're coming up on the one year anniversary in the next couple of weeks. So, in conjunction with that one-year anniversary, we got some remembrance events planned in Navarre, Florida, where the actual accident happened. And then following those events, we are kicking off the Marine Raider Memorial March. We'll be rucking from as close as we could get to the crash site all the way back to our base in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, for 770 miles. And and the reason that we're doing it is signifying bringing them home because – you know, the way that those dudes got shipped home, I mean, no one no one should have to receive their, their loved one like that. And, uh, you know, these guys were a high caliber of, of Marine and, and operator. And, uh, you know, we just feel like to to honor their memory and, and something that's as physically grueling as, as a ruck march and for such an extended period of time is, is something that, you know, was, was well-deserving of those dudes to um, – to honor him in that way. You guys are doing the march and how exactly, and, and there's several teams doing this or how is that going to work? Yeah. So uh, the way that we're accomplishing this 770 mile route is sort of like a relay race where you have seven teams and each team is associated with one of the Marines that was on the aircraft. So um, only one team will be on the route at any point in time, except for, right at the beginning because we're starting together and then right at the end because we're finishing together. So each team is uh, assigned. It's about 14 miles. So they do that 14 mile leg. They get to their turnover spot where we have a vinyl wrapped RV uh, with a flagpole on it. Should be pretty easy to recognize. If you're driving down the road, you should see it. And then we're going to swap out teams uh, the team that is picking up has already done their dynamic warm up, and then they're going to pick up. Take uh, you know, the, we're carrying a flag, we're carrying a paddle, and it's it's, it's sort of like a uh, baton, you know, so to speak. They pick it up and then they go, and then we keep moving. You get about 17 hours rest in between, you know. So within that 17 hours, is driving to the next, you know, set of hotels, you know, doing your correctives, resting up. There's other events where we're, you know, interacting with the different communities. And then, uh, you know, then it'll be your turn again. So you guys have had different press cover this event or, and cover the organization. Is there going to be any kind of press and video of the event? Absolutely. So we have guys coming with us documenting uh, – you know, the day-to-day operations and they're going to be highlighting, you know, the start point, the end point, And then there's certain events along our route that they're going to come join us at to document it. Cause 
Uh, I think if we don't document it, we'd be doing a disservice to the families. You got to think everybody's kind of got to a point in their life, whether it's in their 20s or 30s or teens, where they, they reflect on who were my parents, who were my grandparents. You got to want to know where you came from. And, you know, we know that the, the kids left behind are going to have that missing puzzle piece that they want to get to know dad. Uh, you know, so we feel that by documenting the ruck march and, you know, getting some candid footage of us talking about the dudes and, uh, you know, showing what, what we're doing in honor of them kind of, it's, it makes a pretty bold statement. And, uh, you know, we want them to be able to, to watch that when they, you know, come of age and, and hopefully it helps, you know, provide some insight into who these dudes were, you know, cause, uh, I think that the way that the helicopter accident was documented, it was uh, very impersonal. It was not humanized. It was just simply numbers on a helicopter, which is not the case. These were, you know, 11 dudes with families, wives, kids, grandparents, you got to think, you know, their lives are forever changed. They're counting the days since the accident. You know what I mean? Um, you know, so, you know, to document that and to hopefully be able to assist with building the picture on who these dudes were is something that, that we're pretty passionate about. But beyond that, uh, we also have, you know, nationwide press coming to different portions. I mean, it's not confirmed yet. They've already covered uh, covered once uh, the Washington Post, but uh, you know they're also talking about coming out for for portions as well to kind of help uh, you know document what we're doing nationwide. Uh, the Marine Corps Times has covered us twice already, and they're looking to come with us as well. But it, you know, with all that stuff, it comes down to the editor saying yay nay, will it sell or not? You know, but at the end of the day, we're doing it one way or the other. Um, a bunch of local press as well. Uh, they're invited to come meet us out at our turnover spots. So like I was saying earlier, the RV is vinyl wrap and it's a perfect backdrop for, you know, different local press to come and, uh, you know, maybe talk, talk with the dudes that are waiting to ruck. So they're, they're meeting us while, you know, we're waiting on the, the guys to get to our location. Um, you know, in between that, I mean, there's, there's also, uh, like AFSOC is sending some dudes when we get towards, you know, Eglin, um, you know, so there, there's all kinds of different PAOs that have reached out to us that, that, you know, are helping us spread our story. Cause I, and I know that, you know, if our brothers from, from SF, if they were to be walking through the campus unit area and we didn't know about it, you know, we'd be like, Oh man, that'd be cool to join them. Uh, just, just as a, a, a showing of solidarity, you know, yeah. so we, we definitely want to, you know, get the word out to those dudes as well. I mean, we're going right by seventh group. So um, we've already reached out to their, their their command and their PAO. And uh, from what I understand, there's some dudes coming out uh, to join us for that portion when we go past Destin. So it should be pretty neat. Nice. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I do a lot of video editing and things like that. So maybe, you know, I, I can help you guys out with, with some of the post-production stuff, like putting the videos together or, or, you know, whatever, like if there's anything I can contribute, uh, to the event, you know, just let me know. Um, yeah, no problem, man. So everyone who is, who's involved in the relay, are those all Marsoc Marines? So it's, it's basically a mashup. It's the majority is former, 
and current Marsat Marines. Um, but we also got, we have um, a Marine that isn't a Marsat Marine, but the the MOS that Kerry Kemp had before he went through ANS, this dude went through like, I think y'all call it AIT, where you, you finish boot camp and then you go to your advanced training where you get your MOS training. Like he went through that course with them. And I want to say they deployed to Iraq together. Um, and he, he's a very close friend of, of Kerry Kemp and is still a current friend of uh, his family, you know. So we felt, you know, he knew him very well. Uh, I, would, I would like for, you know, him to be represented, you know, by someone that, you know, knew him very well. So, uh, you know, he's coming with us as well. Uh, we have some gold star family members coming with us as well. And, and I, I'm, I'm beyond impressed and honored to have them with us. Um, I mean, these girls have been rucking on the beach. I mean, they're putting some miles in dude. They're, nice. they're probably in better shape than some of the dudes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they're, they're putting in the miles or they're getting blisters. I mean, these, these, these women, they're, they're ready. And, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, get them out there. Cause I mean, obviously they're, they're, you know, very passionate to, uh, honor their husband and want one, uh, one of them, you know, was married to one of the Marines and one of them was engaged to one of the Marines, you know, so they're, they're, uh, very passionate about honoring their, their loved one. And, uh, we're, we're glad to be able to, to help facilitate that. Yeah, that, that that's awesome, man. And I, I always, uh, would like to support, you know, events like these and, and, you know, especially to support you guys, the Marsoc Marines. And, you know, like I said before, man, if there's anything I could contribute in terms of post-production video editing or whatever, you know, you just let me know and, um, and, you know, I'll, I'll do it. So, uh, you know, I want to really, I want to thank you for coming on and talking about the event. Uh, as the, the time, the date gets closer, you know, I, I can post some stuff on social media and, we can give you guys a shout on the podcast. Uh, can you, yeah, man. Can you drop your social media handles and websites for the listeners? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so our Twitter and Instagram is the same handle. It's at Rucking Raiders. Okay, and and what's the website? Uh, the website is MarineRaiderMemorialMarch.com. We're also on Facebook. All you have to do is search for Marine Raider Memorial March. And that's where we'll be posting all our updates. We posted our route there on already. Um, you know, we're interacting with a lot of different bases along the route. We're coming through, uh, you know, right down 98, right past Herbert Field, right past Eglin. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, dudes on those bases. And, and we're hoping that they, they uh, come out and join us uh, while we rock past their AO. And then, you know, from there, we're getting to Panama City. Um, all dive schools are at Panama City other than obviously SF dive down in Key West. But, uh, you know, we're, we already got some engagements planned with them to where some dudes are coming out and rucking with us when we come through Panama City. Uh, the base is, you know, definitely shown a lot of support um, as far as, uh, you know, a show of force uh, when we go past their base down Thomas Drive. Tyndall Air Force Base is right by there. You know, we go through Tallahassee. We're engaging ROTCs in Tallahassee. They're coming out and rucking with us, some of the cadets. Uh, then we're coming up through Thomasville, going through Moody Air Force Base, 
So if anybody's listening from Moody Air Force Base, um, we'd love to, to have you come out and rock with us. Continuing down 84, we go all the way to Savannah. Uh, we go through Hinesville, where 3rd Infantry Division is based out of, and uh, Fort Stewart. Um, we're going past Hunter Airfield, where 1st Rangers are. Um, and then going through Beaufort, Marine Corps boot camp. You know, one of the boot camps is there at Paris Island. Uh, Marine Corps Air Station, Beaufort is there. We're coming through Charleston. There's all kinds of Air Force, you know, Charleston Air Force Base is there. Uh, the Citadel is there. We're engaging with them. And then coming up 17, um, you know, anybody that's, you know, maybe they, they used to be in and they're out and they want to come out and get connected, we'd love to have them come out and rock with us. You know, so we definitely want to get the word out there that, that uh, you know, Grab your rock, dust the, you know, get the dust off of it, and uh, you know, come come out if it's one mile, two miles, ten miles, you know, we'd love to have you. Obviously, there's stipulations like we're trying to make sure that dudes are safe. Uh, we don't want to have the Forrest Gump effect where there's 400 people, you know, and we have to, you know, keep it somewhat small because we're we're staying on the shoulders of the road. But uh, you know, if we can facilitate it. We, you know, if guys reach out to us, we can make sure that, you know, we can find the best spot that they can hop in. Nice. Yeah. So we'll, uh, I, what I'll do is when we put up each episode on my website, we have what we call the podcast notes. And in there, we'll, we'll drop the links or the guests on the show and stuff like that. So anyone who, you know, when the, when, you're, when you're done listening, you can just go to my website and on there you have the podcast notes and it'll link you to... Uh, all of the social media handles on the website. And if you have any questions, you can reach out directly on the Facebook or the Instagram or, or Twitter and you'll get a response. So, uh, you know, again, Nate, I want to thank you for coming on and I'll share some posts on my social media profiles leading up to the event and, and the day of, and uh, we'll try and keep everybody updated. Nice. Thanks brother. Yeah. We got all kinds of events planned. I, I just flew into Florida uh, the other day, um, and I'm down here just, you know, the point of friction, obviously that's where we want to place ourselves. So this is it. Um, we got a CrossFit workout, um, with uh, a CrossFit gym in Navarre. The dude that owns it is, uh, in the air force. Um, so he's, he's helping put that together and it's going to be raising money for the ruck march. Cause I mean, let's face it. There's all kinds of logistical requirements between buying hotel rooms, paying to feed dudes, uh, I mean, you name it, filling up the vehicles with gas, obviously that costs money. Um, you know, so we're doing that, uh, out in the VAR on March 5th at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, we, we definitely want to get dudes, you know, showing up to that. Uh, there'll be a couple of us out there. The rest of the dudes aren't flying in until later, all the ruckers, but, uh, there'll be a couple of us out there working out and, uh, raising awareness for the ruck march. And then, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the, the, the next, that's the close fight, I guess, so to speak. Nice. All right. So, Nate, it was great having you on, brother. Um, you know, I just want to say thank you for your service and uh, thank you for setting up this event. Hey, brother, thanks for having me. Um, you know, thanks, thanks for, uh, you know, wanting to get us involved with, with uh, the global recon community. You know, we're, you know, and in MARSOC, we're the new dudes to the fight. So to speak, you know, we've been here for 10 years, but as part of SOCOM, you know, so we're still the the new fish, you know, so, you know, th thanks for reaching out to us 
Um, you know, like I said, you know, we, we work with, we work with SF before we work with the seals before I got nothing but great things to say about those dudes. So, uh, glad, glad to, uh, you know, get, you know, everything linked up. Cool, brother. Peace. Oh, that was an awesome interview with, uh, John and Marsock. Those guys are, uh, you know, they got a late start and it was so calm and, and standing up at special operations. But right now it's tell you they're, they're right on par with, with special forces elements in the army and appreciate their service and their, and their selfless sacrifice. And, and I can't believe that, uh, well, I, I can't believe it, but I, but I, they're going to walk 700 miles for their, for their teammates and it's a good cause. So, uh, definitely pay attention and follow those guys leading off from that. We're going to go into my interview with April Bittner, Mass Sergeant Benjamin Bittner's wife and spouse. Uh, she, she lost her husband in 2011 in a, um, uh, an IED when he was killed in combat leading his troops. So let's just go straight into that. Hey guys, it's Mike from Philcraft. Hey, thanks for listening. And, uh, today we got a special guest today. Uh, we have April Bittner, who's the wife of Master Sergeant Ben Bittner. If you guys have been following me on social media, on my Instagram and Facebook, it's at soft survivor, SOS survivor. I, every once in a while, maybe every two weeks or so, I post pictures of Benjamin Bittner, who was a 18 Charlie special forces engineer. That was a teammate of mine. And we grew up in uh, SF together, basically. And Ben was killed in combat in 2011 in April when he was, uh, killed by an IED leading his team into a, a combat operation. Uh, today we have the honor and privilege of having his wife, April Bittner, a good friend of mine who's going to be on, uh, to give, give some perspective and some insight kind of on, on the inside of, of what it's like to be a spouse to a special forces you know, uh, special forces soldiers, and as well as a widow of an SF uh, soldier that that was lost in combat. So I appreciate having her on, and and I hope you guys can take away something from this and kind of get like uh, the reality check to, of of you know what we all uh, go through or uh, experience firsthand being in special operations. So April, thanks for coming on, and uh, let's start out where. Where you uh, tell me where you're at right now and kind of uh, what you have going on? Uh, right now, I am back in Oklahoma, which is where I was originally from, and I'm going back to school for um, sociology. So I'm using my GI Bill because that was the different thing about Ben and I is we were actually both in at one time together, and then um, after. Just while we were still dating, though, we weren't married until after I got out. But while we were dating and both in the military, we spent, oh, let's see, 21 months apart. So um, that kind of made a difference on that. You can't, I mean, and people do it. People do it all the time that are married and both both spouses are in the military. We just chose not to. So, but I'm using my GI Bill to go back to school now. So... You mentioned about you, you guys both being in the military, and you know, obviously, people don't know this. How how did you and Ben meet, uh, and where did you guys meet at? Do Do you know this? Oh, I do. Um, I know this. Okay. 
we met in Afghanistan, in Kandahar, actually. And um, so that's why I say, like, that's where it all began. I met through a friend of mine. I met him, and um, we used to go to lunch together every day because we were cool like that. <laughs> and um, so we hung out a lot because there wasn't a whole lot else to do besides your job when he was, you know, around Kandahar. But And then that's where it all ended because he was there when he was killed. He was right by there. So it was just weird, but... I mean, we met in 2003, and then he died in 2011. So, yeah, it's that. I mean, that's crazy. That's I remember you telling me that well, you know a couple of years ago, and that it's crazy to even think about. Um, when you when you met him, he was an SF guy, obviously. And then, what were you doing? And and like, what was your job in the military? Oh, I was an air traffic controller. So, um, I worked in the tower, and we ended up. I met his friends because we had to have, uh, I can't even think of what they're called now, the range. range if the SF guys, yeah, well, no, if the SF guys were out shooting at the range, they had to have a radio guy in the um, tower so that if um, aircraft with guns on them were flying over, you guys had to stop firing so that you didn't get shot at. Because I don't know if you remember the Canadians that got fired on by the like F-14s, I think. Yeah and killed them. So there was like a whole new policy after that. So that they didn't think you guys were bad guys too. <laughs> uh, so, so you guys met in Kanahar and then started building a relationship. And then, um, what, how long was it after that that you guys, uh, got married? Oh, forever. Um, we met in 2003. <laughs> we didn't get married until 2007, but we got engaged like right after I got the army in 2006. Hmm. So, so, I mean, <laughs> it, was, it took a, been a couple of years. He, he moved slow and stuff like that. Well, yeah, that, and I mean, we spent the whole 21 months apart. So, I mean, it's not like we ever saw each other. So but, how, how hard was that on a relationship with you guys in the beginning, especially, but I mean, him being an SF guy, you being in the army, I mean, it was, you, well, you okay. tracking and understanding that, right? Yes, and that did help. And the good thing about him being an SF guy, I mean, yeah, we spent 20 months apart, but he also found his way into Kuwait. Like he's, I was in Kuwait for a year, and before I went to Kuwait, he had deployed and was gone for five months, and then I deployed, and then he redeployed before I came home. So, um, But that Thanksgiving, he was on his way home from Afghanistan, and he stopped through Kuwait and got to spend Thanksgiving with me there, which was really cool. Oh, so that's, oh, that's great. So, so 21 months apart from yeah. Yep. Oh my goodness. Okay. So when did you set, when, when did you separate from the army? Uh, September of 2006. 2006. Okay. So, mm -hmm. um, after that, then, uh, I remember that time frame. Ben had came over to the SIF and mm -hmm. we did the, uh, what rotation was that? That was the 08 rotation. He came over in 08, time frame oh seven oh eight time frame mm -hmm. and then we went to iraq together and then came back and then from there i remember ben got promoted and then he took our old detachment he took six six right yeah yep and it was still it, still a mountain team um is it still now from oh, what no, i know when he, took it, when he took it it was still a mountain team right oh yes yeah for sure yeah and then was that how many rotations did he get as a team sergeant? Was that his first rotation as a team sergeant? Uh, yes and no. He the rotation before that, before he went to the SIF, 
I don't remember who was the team sergeant, but somehow, I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. It's been so long. I don't know if they got in trouble or something happened, but he spent the second half of that trip as the acting team acting, sergeant. I remember that. Okay. Yeah, I do yeah. remember that. And then yeah. uh, I heard he did real good then, and then that's when he got his rated team sergeant time, and then he made eight, and then that's when he got promoted, and then took 6-6. Six, six. Right. Um, and then went downrange. Uh, hey, do you know, so for listeners, and I know the story, but you, you probably know more, know more details about it. Can you talk about, um, what you know about the operation that, that took Ben from us? Um, I can, yeah. I guess, uh, we don't have to talk about operational details, but just the specifics of, of how it went down. Um, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Right. And I don't know if what I know is, I mean, I don't know. I, I read the report on it, but either way, what happened was there was a village where they knew the, I'm going to put this in layman's terms too, um, where they knew the bad guys were right. Well, they had put in a request to just blow it up like from a distance. I think they were using the ID, the the ID that they had discovered. No, it wasn't just an ID that the place they were walking to though, was just a, that's where all the bad guys lived and they knew it, but they just oh, couldn't prove it. Oh, oh the like requ- request to blow up the bad guy to, to drop yes. munitions on the bad guys. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yes. Um, and then they got that denied because of course they were worried about civilians, you know, and innocent people being their kids, you know, women, whatever. Um, so that got denied and they told them they had to go into the village. And, um, I will tell you that the day before he did this, he called me and told me he had a bad feeling about it. And me being the mean wife, I guess, that I was, or just knowing him and knowing how he was, I told him, I was like, don't worry about it, you know, because anytime somebody worries about something, something bad happens. So stop worrying and just do your job, you know, do your job, be safe and come home, you know, later. Um, Because, I mean, he told me on the phone, he was worried about me and what would happen to me and what would happen to Gunner if something happened, which... And of course, I was at work when he called, trying to do my job, um, because we were shorthanded at the time, and it was just—it's just a messed up. <laughs> it was a messed up situation, anyways. So the next, and it, it kind of made him mad. I think actually that day that I was working while he was talking to me, but I didn't have a choice. Um, I was still an air traffic controller, and there was aircraft, and there was me and one other person working. Um, so I couldn't just. I had to do my job and it made him mad. So we kind of got into a little bit of an argument and, um, but I just told him, I was like, don't worry about us. Your job will be fine. You know, anyways. So they went into the village and, um, two other guys from what I understand, um, walked, did walk in the same steps they were because they were, I guess going in a different direction. I think they were supposed to be, um, like in sniper positions before they went into the village. So, and they were the ones that um, checked the route for IEDs. Um, and they stepped in the same spot. Nothing happened to them. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. Anyways, um, so later he walked in the same area and um, basically, I mean, he stepped right on it and it, it, killed him so and then i guess a terp was close enough to him that he got severely injured too 
So, and, and they did finish their mission. I mean, the guys did finish their mission and take out the town. And then the team captain the next day went and blew up the whole town, which I thought was awesome. He got in a lot of trouble for that, but, um, he's since regained his, uh, you know, stature in special forces and he's doing great things. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's what hurt me the most. Cause I woke up the next morning. I can just tell you my experience. I woke up the next morning and I had gotten an email from him basically apologizing for being so crazy and you know, telling me you love me and all these things. And um, my son and I went and saw the Easter Bunny that day. And then I came home to two dudes in my driveway. And um, and that was that. So so you had gotten the email before you had shown up at the house and, these, and the two guys were there? Yes, I got, yeah, I got that email that morning. So when they were there, I mean, I told them I, I didn't believe what they were telling me. You know, when I showed up in my driveway, I mean, we used to have a range in the backyard where we shot at, which yeah. I know you know, Mike. Yeah. And um, so I assumed that since it was like a red military van, that someone had come over to shoot and like just didn't tell me, which I, so I got, I was pissed at first, you know. So I pull up and I'm in the truck and I go to get out and these guys get out in their um, dress uniforms. And then I knew clearly they weren't there to shoot, but I still just couldn't believe what they were telling me. I mean, it took days probably for me to actually believe it, even though, you know, I got phone calls from the team confirming, I just still didn't believe it for probably three days. (laughs) So that last email that you got was the last time that you, um, that last means of communication that you got from Ben. Yes. Now, now when, when that happened, I remember, I don't know if it was the day of, or I think it was the day of I showed up and things were happening fast. I mean, I, I remember there was a lot of traffic inside and out of your house and, oh, yeah. and it was just, I mean, just seemed, like when thinking about it, I, I mean, I almost feel it's like a pump, like punch drunk experience. Just thinking about that whole, um, experience because it just, it seemed chaotic almost. Um, what, what did the military do in in that situation? Like, what are what what are, what was the process? Did they ha- they told you they notified you, which is the notification process? And don't they they assigned you is like a CA, a casualty assistant assistance officer? Is that how is that how it went yeah. down? Yeah. Um. And then I don't think he might have come over later that night or the next day. I honestly don't remember like that much of that night because. When the when the the notification officer and the chaplain are there, they won't leave until someone else shows up um, to make sure you know you're okay or whatever. And I mean, I know you were there, and there was a bunch of people in and out, but I was drinking heavily, to be honest. Uh, and I did have a casualty casualty assistance officer um, who was great. I mean, he was he was he was really good. He showed up the next day that I can remember, um, but they. Maybe that night because my my mom did. They, I mean, the military was good because I, um, I mean, I had a six month old baby, and so that was hard. But they actually called my mom and were able to get her like to me by the end of the day, um, so that I had help because you know I lived in North Carolina where I had really close friends, but I didn't have, you know, any relatives like actual real family relatives there. So they were really good about that. And then the casualty assistance officer and they, they automatically, I mean, they don't really give you any time to just 
B, you automatically go into, hey, we have to go to your bank and make sure that you're okay to receive your life insurance policy because you guys had a joint bank account and like there's all those things that go on and then you automatically start doing all this paperwork and stuff. And I had a really good casualty assistance officer because he was really good about helping me with it and understood it um, better than some of the other. I mean, I've talked to other military widows since and they've had, you know, they're still, they could be two, three years later going back and trying to fix things that were done wrong. Yeah. So So they're helping. They're basically in processing you into the system and, and taking care of all this stuff that, it almost, there's like no time to mourn. I mean, I mean, there's no time to even for the reality to kick in. Right. I mean, it just seems like it that's, was. It's all just one big blur. And that's, that was the weird part about it. And then like, I would get really upset because of course you have the option to go to Delaware to see when your loved one is taken, you know, in his casket off the plane and, and taken there to the medical examiner where you would get your death certificate and all that stuff. Um, so they kind of made a big deal about it. And, you know, I was like, okay, fine, we'll go to Delaware. And it's so weird because you like fly out that morning and you go there and you're there for the day and you fly back home the very next morning. And, um, like, of course I had a five month old with me. My mom went, Ben's parents met us up there. Like it was just Super crazy. But what bothered me the most is everybody kept being like, oh, well, he's coming home. He's coming home. And I would be like, F you. You know, he's really not. Yeah. Um, yeah, That's a body. Thanks. You know, and it would just bother me. And like, I felt bad because I was like, these people are trying to be so nice to me. And I just want to punch all of them in the face, you know. Yeah. And so it was really hard for me. And um, so, I mean, that's just the whole another ball of wax, you know. And then. Sorry, one thing. I felt bad when I was there because I had kind of an entourage. I had me, my mom, my son, Ben's parents, and my casualty assistance officer. Two, two, I think of the generals from group were there, and then uh, Willie was with me, mm-hmm. um, and Dave and uh, what's his name? Dad Gummit. I can't think of his wife's name. I can't think of his name. It was like Ben's first Charlie Senior too. Oh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so like I had all these people with me and then I felt really bad because there was two um, KIAs on that flight and the woman that was standing next to me had her, her parents and like one, her casualty assistance officer, a baby and she was pregnant. Oh man. Yeah. And like, so, and it was so weird to me that like the whole time, all I could think about was that poor woman, you know? And like now me seeing it differently now, I was thinking she probably, you know what I mean? You feel that same way for all of them. I mean, it's not like Ben's funeral was the first one I went to, you know? And every time I go to a funeral of somebody who was killed, I would think that poor woman, you know? So then all of a sudden I was that poor woman and it was like, holy crap, this is happening. So, but I didn't, I don't, I guess, yeah, everything happened so fast. I didn't have time to process it at the time. How how long did it take for you to, I mean, how long did it take for it to become real. I mean, I I know you you said it was chaotic and and the experience was like overwhelming, but when did it, when did it finally sink in? Did you, did you have like a moment where you just were by yourself and then you, the realization that, that this was happening? Um, probably like, I couldn't say that he had died like out loud for three days. Like seriously, it was like, I think the third day and I had to ask a question and it like just came out. And then, so that was kind of like a moment, like, holy crap, I just said that, you know, and that's weird. But, um, I don't know 
when it was. I mean, there was a night and I remember my friend Amy was there with me and I was just hanging out and I was just crying. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? You know, because you don't know. You know, I don't I don't know. It was. was, I mean, there's still days, though, I wake up and I'm like, holy crap, is this really my life? (laughs) You know, or when people say, oh, you know, where do you want to be in five years? I'm like, who knows where I'm going to be in five years? Because you can make five year plans all day long and they might not work out. So, I mean, not to be like, I'm not a hippie and I'm not like, oh, you only live once. So let's just do whatever we want. But like I do now, I live every day as if, you know, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, so we talked about the, the military and kind of some things that were that were going going down with the Catholic assistant officer and, and kind of what they were doing. Uh, what, what are some of the, the things that you think they did right from that? from the support network that you were receiving? What are some things that you, that you think that were, uh, you know, they were getting right at the time? I don't know if it was at the time. Um, I mean, I guess it was at the time. Of course they help take care of you. They do, you know, make sure everything gets done correctly. Um, but I think just, just as of now, I mean, it still helps out the fact, like I'm thankful that I still have TRICARE. I still have health insurance. Um, you know, I, I'm going to school now, um, and I am using my GI Bill, but I also still, I mean, I get Ben's retirement pay plus like a disability stipend plus I get Social Security for Gunner. And once I quit working, I ended up I get Social Security now. So I basically live off of what Ben's salary was, which also includes the Social Security because retirement for the military is not what you would think it would be. (laughs) Um, so, but I do have that. Like, so I still like basically what we were making together, I get half of that and it makes it to where, because I didn't, I didn't plan. I mean, it took a long time for me in my life to like decide when I wanted to have kids. And then when I finally did, all of a sudden I'm a single mom. And, um, so they do help you take care of your children. And that's probably the one thing that I've had a lot of conversations with wives on, um, just friend wives that are like, holy crap, what if this happens to me? You know, and I've been able to tell them they will take care of you. You know, yeah, you'll have to make cutbacks and you have to make sacrifices. I mean, that you more than what you already have made, you know, but they do take care of you, you know. And I don't think for a second if I needed something, I couldn't call somebody from third group or just an old friend and get the assistance I needed. What about, um, what, what about some of the things that they, that you kind of think they need to improve on? I know you talked, we talked about surveys before me and you um, offline, but what are some of the things that they, they kind of didn't get right that you think maybe they could have uh, did better? I think they should give you more time just to grieve before you start all the paperwork. Um, just time to like sit back and, soak it in. I don't know. I mean, I say that, but I mean, there's, I guess some people say it's better if you just do everything faster. I mean, and that might be a personal thing. I don't know. It just that. Okay. And here's one thing that I thought was weird. They, um, sent all of his stuff back from Afghanistan and I think they could change this. They, which is fine. I mean, like some of it I needed, some of it I didn't. I mean, a lot of it's military gear that like, they were like, Oh, you can keep it or turn it in. And I'm like, I'm not taking it up there and turn it in. That's way too much work. Um, so I gave a lot of it away to, you know, friends who are still in and everything. But, um, they sent, he left with like two tough boxes 
And they sent it back in nine tough boxes full of stuff. And they actually did go through every single last little bit of it and like wrote down what it was. And so like it, and to me, that's, I mean, I'm sure they wanted to make sure that there was no like security issues, but like, that's very personal. There's like personal things in there that I was upset that like they had gotten a hold of. So they Um, went through everything. They went through all of this stuff everything and itemized it and put it in nine tough boxes and then send it back to you. And it kind of just like my um, CAO is there, but it like just showed up at the doorstep. Like here you have nine tough boxes. I mean, luckily for me, I had a giant garage, but like if you didn't, it would be like, where do you, I mean, nine tough boxes. That's a lot of like stuff, you know, yeah, big travel light. I, I couldn't imagine like all that. So they basically took inventory and, and, and wrote down everything that was being, um, it basically SSC'd everything that was in those boxes and then delivered it back to you. And you're saying that if you, you know, that's kind of like, it seems almost like a violation of like his privacy. personal <laughs> privacy and yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and so it was upsetting. And then to think too, that like, you can't hold your husband anymore. So you want to hold some of his stuff, but you know that it's already been through so many hands and then wrapped in like a weird plastic bag and sent back to you. Yeah. It seems really you know? personable and, and like a violation. Um, right. And what, then my CEO was there actually like looking through stuff with me. I'm like, you can go now. <laughs> I just told him to, and he did leave eventually. But yeah. And I, and I remember the CEO, the, the casualty affairs officer, he's, he's a real young, like group. I, I don't know how they're selected. It's a, it's like a, probably like a red cycle tasking. And I remember him being a young captain, right? It wasn't. He a, yeah, he was. Young, um, yeah. And then he ended up actually, this is kind of just, they're bad on SF's part, I guess. He ended up, um, towards the end, I had to switch and use a different guy because he had to deploy, which was fine. And I understood that because, and, and unlike some wives who have been through this, I mean, Ben was in forever. The whole, our, our whole relationship, he was, you know, nonstop deployment, 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 you know, and I was kind of used to the whole like fast pace of all that. But I think that could be really messed up for someone else. Um, and then I think it's great that that person's an officer and they could probably get more stuff done, but it would be good if there was like an enlisted person, like if you're, especially if your spouse is enlisted besides officer, because I mean, as we both know, there's a, there's a difference between officers and enlisted people. And, um, I think I would have felt more on a casual, easier, like easier going level if I was dealing with an enlisted person. And then they just had that officer who did like paperwork for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that totally sense. makes sense to me. Like, why wouldn't they assign a senior enlisted advisor or senior enlisted um, with the officer to be able to, you know, communicate to you? And and it's you know, yeah. it's, it seems like a. I remember being in a group just you know, me and Ben would get the red cycle tasking where we'd have to be assisting, but you know, could they have us driving or doing something else? But the casualty assistant officer was always an appointed commissioned officer, so that's yeah. a good point. Which it, it makes sense for paperwork purposes, but other than that, it doesn't like, I don't know. I mean, and it was good for me, I guess, because I did have like, if I had, if I needed somebody to talk to, I mean, Ben was in group for so long that I knew, you know, enough people that I could just make a phone call. So that did help, but it's still, I don't know. What, so so tell, tell, uh, tell us about Ben, like what, what kind of guy was Ben? I mean, uh, we, you know, you, you know, everybody who's an SF and who knew him um, as a Green Beret, 
always has nothing but good things to say about Ben and, and just the kind of man he was. And, it, See, and the kind of man he was different from from your perspective. Like, what kind of man was Ben? Uh, he was a man. Um, <laughs> a man's man. Um, a man's man. Yeah. Um, he would be upset if I didn't say he was an asshole because he was. I mean, a total asshole. Not always to me, but just in general. I mean, he's very sarcastic. Very much, you know, when you first met him, that's probably would be your first impression uh, until you got to know him. But... Um, I, he was great. And I noticed when you were talking earlier, you said that you wanted him to come to Yusuzak and be a breacher. And he considered it, actually. But he told me one day that uh, he was afraid if he left SF, who would train the new guys? He was like, who would train them in the way that they're supposed to be instead of, like, just training them in general? You know, because he was full-on, full-hearted. I mean, absolutely loved his job. And I mean, I, I still tell people today and I told people then like when it happened and even before, I mean, I knew when I married him, I was like, hey, he actually not, not to speak bad of him, but like he loved his job way more. I think, you know, especially when we first got married at the time, than he loved me. Um, and then towards the end, I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I hope that you understand that. Like if everybody could love their job as much as he loved his job, we'd all be much happier. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, cause even on the bad days, he still would, he was still happy, you know? And he always told me, it's like the end of the day, it's all in how you feel about yourself. When you look in the mirror, if you feel good about what you did today, Hey, that's great. But if you can look in the mirror at the end of the day and you're like upset and you hate your life, well, that sucks too. You know? And he just, he loved what he did and he was a man's man. And, um, he was, I mean, he was good to me. I don't want to say just cause he loved his job more, but, <laughs> um, he was, yeah. I mean, he was great. And so, so I'm just looking at, thinking about Ben and, and remember like the hard ass he was and being uh, with him in Afghanistan for so long and just kind of getting a, an impression of what kind of man he was. I would have never seen him as like, like, you know, thinking of him as a father at that time period. I never even thought, thought about that. But then seeing how he took guys under his wing, like he took uh junior, you know, his mechanic, yeah. And basically molded this kid into like, you know, a green beret essentially. And he had a passion for that. He had a passion for teaching and he had a passion for taking young guys and making them stronger and faster and just better operators. Um, and I, yeah, I just, just looking at it now and what kind of, seeing what kind of um, opinion you had on it. He just, he loved his, he loved his job and his career field so much. But then I remember when he had uh, Gunner, when you guys, you know, got pregnant and then he had a boy, I remember just talking to him about that experience, and it just kind of changed his perspective and on life. I think was yeah. when when you guys had um, Gunner, did did it change him? Did, did you see the change in him? Um, yeah, definitely. Actually, um, I mean, because even before, I mean before he deployed and then while he was deployed, I mean, I probably read an email. So, um, he was talking about, you know, doing his team sergeant time, then actually taking a desk job, which is something you would have never heard him say. <laughs> you know um, what I mean? He was like, but it's cool. I want to be home. I want to be with you guys, like all these things. So, I mean, that was like super awesome and very cool, but yeah, it did. It totally. And it was so funny because there was like times, um, that I wanted, 
like I wanted to have kids way before he did. And he was like, no, let's not do that yet. Blah, blah, blah. You know? And then, uh, so it would have been 2009 still, I guess. Cause you know, you're pregnant for like a while. So I have to do the math. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so it was like 2009 and he came home one day and he was like, I think we should have a kid. And I was like, what? Like totally like, what Are you sure? And he's like, yeah. And he was like, because if we don't have kids, people are going to have kids that are bad kids. And he's like, we need our kid to grow up, to be able to, you know, be the leader and do the right thing. And, you know, someone's got to be the type A and, you know, he was blah, blah, blah. You know, our kid's going to be a badass and this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, so normally people have a problem getting pregnant. We did not at all. Because <laughs> um, in all reality, like we were not planning on, like we didn't figure we'd probably get pregnant until after he came back from this, that deployment. Um, but we, that was, and we got pregnant really fast and um, had Gunner in September. So like right after that, it was probably like October, I think, of 2009. He was like, hey, we should have a baby. And like by the next year, we had one. So <laughs> <laughs> worked out, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah. I remember, I remember him being like seeing the softer side of Ben, which was, you know, Ben was a hard dude. And if you didn't know Ben and you weren't in his circle, then you weren't privy to, to seeing any sensitive side of Ben. But I remember, you know, he had just gotten done Skyping you or, talking to you and then he had pictures of you know you guys and he was just talking about you know having a kid and he was all excited and his his tone and his pitch and everything just was totally different and seeing the software side of Ben was a unique experience because I don't think many people saw that side of him right I don't no I don't think so either but I mean he was awesome I guess some of you guys might have known but he used to steal like the sat phone I mean, like, and call, he would call me every day almost. And it, I, I loved it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I <laughs> but I felt really bad because, like, you know, when when the guys would deploy, the wives would get together and hang out more often than we did when they were home. And, like, they'd be like, oh, I haven't heard from, you know, my husband in, like, a week. And I'm like, oh, really? They were like, well, and, you know, so they'd start comparing this and everything. And I would just be quiet, not say anything. Like, I fine before <laughs> I came home. every here. day. <laughs> really? So, yeah, you know. But he would. I mean, he would steal this app and he'd be out, you know, riding around or whatever. And he'd still give me a call, see how I was doing, you know. So there's that. But, yeah, I mean. So, of course, was, you guys met in Kandahar. And then, you know, the the, the ironic part of all of this, 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 this story and this journey with, with Ben is that he had passed away in Kandahar. Mm -hmm. um, how hard has it been for you to move move? on with your life. I mean, you know, I, and I, I remember, I can't remember if I was reading a the blog, one of your blogs or, or, or I, it was a conversation that we had, but you hate being the victim. And I know you hate being called a survivor because you feel like the troops and the soldiers that are, you know, coming home from war, they're the survivors and, and you're not the survivor. You're a widow. What, right. why, what's like, when you think about, trying to move forward with your life like why why is your mentality that way and, and why do you why do you see it as you not being a survivor versus um a, a widow um okay so i haven't read my blog in like four years um so uh but i do kind of remember that 
because the survivors, like, I don't, you do something and you survive something. Well, life is, I guess, about survival and you have to survive, but I don't consider myself a survivor because I woke up the next morning. I mean, that's nature, you know, and yeah, this is hard, but I'm, I'm, I'm a widow. There's not, it's not like, I don't, it's a lot of other widows would probably argue that, um, because life is a bitch. It's really hard. I mean, I actually bought it. I mean, like kind of have a new motto and, um, I actually have a t-shirt that says so, but it says, um, life doesn't get easier. You get stronger. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's the thing. Like, I can sit here and have this conversation with you and not be just crying my eyes out in tears because I have gotten stronger through it. So, um, have I survived the last five years? Yeah, but I don't consider myself, I don't know. I mean, it's different when people, I live in Oklahoma now and I'm not around military people like I used to be. So, it's kind of like when people talk about freedom or, um, the military in general and this, that, and everything, they don't see it the same way I see it. You know, I can't go to a sporting event and hear the national anthem and not have a tear in my eye. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. most people just stand there because and put their hand over their heart because they feel they have to, you know, and I'm that crazy parent that's flicking my head and my child in the head because I'm like, you will stand there and you will, you know, make sure he's got it. You know, you're not going to be that kid. Um, just because I feel like it means more to me, but when it comes to being a, you know, I'm not a survivor. I just, I'm, I am because I have survived things that I may not have, that it probably couldn't, you know, at some point could have died doing. Um, but I don't, I don't consider myself a survivor because I woke up the next morning. It's not just because Ben died didn't mean that I should die. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't like almost die just, a, you know, a part of me may have, but like, I still, I'm a widow. I get up every morning and I don't know. I don't feel, I don't, I don't know. I think survivor is just a weird word. I think they're trying to sugarcoat widow, um, which is a negative term really, uh, kind of, I know this label no one wants. Um, so like I had a friend whose husband died a couple years ago and I was like, Oh, welcome to the club. The one no one wants to be part of. Um, <laughs> so just cause I mean, it's it sucks, but, and you do kind of have like your little groups. Like I, I have made widow friends and we call each other widow friends and that's okay. We don't call each other survivors. Um, not like we went on the show together. That would be cool. <laughs> You don't want to over, you don't want to over victimize yourself. I, I get the sense that like when you associate um, survivors like an association of being a victim, um, and and somehow it seemed I don't know it just it, it, in coming from the military background that you have it seems like it it would be a, a negative thing to be associated with being a victim because you're not a victim because you're alive you're able to breathe when so many aren't you know so many you know like Ben you know giving his life you know he. He his team is the one who survived. I remember you reading what you wrote. His teammates are survivors, and uh, right. you guys are widowers. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what it is. You know, you if you get to come, like I mean, you on your thing SOF survivor because you survived. You made it. I mean, you did your time and you made it. You're still alive. So congratulations yeah. to you yeah. for that. You know, and um, and that's great. But um, yeah, I mean, I didn't do that i didn't make those sacrifices you know well, um what's i mean 
there's a lot of, you know, just like you said, there's a lot of people who would, who would think differently that you were because of your strength, because of your resilience. And maybe it's something else completely different. Maybe it's called something else, but you're a, you're a survivor in the sense that, uh, you know, you're able to move on with your lives when so many women just, just probably can't, you know, they can't even function. And I think the resilience that you've, you had prior being, being in the military, you know, building a relationship with Ben, um, you were, you were, you know, set up as much as you could be as far as having the resilience to get through that entire situation. Cause I, I think about all the buddies that we've lost in SF and kind of their spouses and they were complete wrecks. And I remember you being real strong, you know, obviously mourning, but being strong because you had a different mindset than they, they had. I mean, you grew up differently. I mean, you were in the army and you met Ben. You yeah. Know, do you think that helped you at all? I mean, that the, the, yeah, the, no, it definitely did. I mean, that had to be part of it. And I mean, the simple fact is, and I've had, you know, conversations with other wives since then, like not widow wives, like actual military wives is that, um, you know, and I tell people who are going to marry somebody who is in special forces. I mean, you, of course, you don't want to think that it could happen to you, but it has to be in the back of your mind and you have to know that it could happen, you know, and I think that helped me a lot. That and Ben didn't come home from one trip without a crazy story of something that I would just think, oh, my gosh, why would you do that? You know, that just tell me that. You know, why would you tell me that? And why, why would you do that? That just seems really dumb, you know? But I mean, you're also talking about the same person that I used to rock climb with and we'd be stuck on the side of a mountain when, you know, a awesome, amazing storm was just, you know, going to whip right in, you know, there's been multiple times we've done our own crazy things that, you know, we probably shouldn't have done. And we called them our bitter epic adventures. And that's just what we did. (laughs) And um, someday when Gunner's old enough, I'll take him on some, but yeah, it's just, so I think that might've been part of it. It It's just, I kind of knew, you know, and if then, and I could always told you if like, if you were in a group of guys and somebody had to sacrifice their life for the rest of everybody else, he would have been the person, you know, like there was no doubt in my mind. I mean, I'm still kind of pissed that he went out the way he did, um, I know that sounds really crappy, but like, I always thought it'd be like in a blaze of glory, you know, type event. But, um, like, I know that seems like stupid and cliche, but like, I mean, it was hard enough to believe. And then I'm like, really? I mean, seriously, that's what happened. So I don't know. Like that's, that's a whole different ball of wax, but I think that's part of it. Maybe, um, that, and then, I mean, you have to like, probably also the fact that I had a, a, six month old baby made a big difference because I wasn't just being strong for me. I had to be strong for him, you know, and I still do every day. I mean, that is my biggest challenge with all of this probably is the fact that my son is the only one in his class that has a single mom, um, because he goes to private school and most private school parents apparently are all married. Um, yeah, you know, and all these kids talk about their dad and this, that, and everything. And, of course, Gunner, because everybody was talking about their families on the first day of school, Gunner, like, stands up and he's like, my dad died. He was a soldier, you know? Like, and he just starts telling everybody. Oh, man. And, um, yeah, and then I hear about it. And not that it's a bad thing, but it's just, you know, it's it's just one of those things that, I mean, I, I deal with it constantly. And then, you know, um, my son's friends will come over and, uh, Gunner's playroom actually has all of Ben's plaques and stuff up in it. And, um, 
they'll come over and be like, who's that guy? You know, and, which is partly like my fault, I guess, you know, Gunnar would be like, that's my dad. He died, you know? And like, he's pretty good about it because I've always been super honest. You know, anytime he's asking a question, I just tell him. And, um, so like he gets it, but at the same time, what I love, and he's not afraid, like sometimes you ask him what he wants to be when he grows up, he'll tell you he wants to be a soldier, which I think is awesome, which most people think I'm crazy for thinking that's awesome, but just what I do anyways, that or he wants to be Iron Man and the Hulk, both of them combined. And then he wants to be a Green Beret. Yeah, he's, I, I'm hoping so. I don't want to press it and be like, this is what you're going to do, but I'm, I'm hoping he chooses to. Yeah, I think that's been, been the same thing. That'd be uh, that'd be epic. Yeah, um, hopefully I'm around to see that. That'd be awesome. Um, right. So what's April? What's next for you in in you know this journey? Like where where are you headed to? I mean, what's what's next in the in the uh, after college? What do you what do you plan on doing? I don't know. I wish I did. Um, what I want to do though is uh, I, my biggest thing is I want to help other people. Um, which before I, I mean, I was an air traffic controller. I love my job. I make good money doing it, but now I just feel, in all honesty, I kind of feel as if this has given me the opportunity to do good things and I can use the, the benefits and stuff that I have to help other people have a better life. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. And we talked about like social work. Is that, did you want to do mm-hmm. something like in social work or? Or some kind well, of. Uh, I was thinking like social work and counseling. maybe working with. Um, no, I, I wanted to do counseling at first, but I have since changed my mind. Um, I was take, I, I was a psych major for a while, and um, those people are crazy. I know that sounds weird, but like, <laughs> I, that's not for me. So I'm hoping to do social work. I want to work with kids, um, and partly probably because my son only has one parent. I want to work with other kids. Um, who either have no parents or one parent or, you know, that situation, because I honestly, and this is um, not to be super cheesy, but I do believe the children are the future. And if we raise them in the right way, our future can be better. Well, that's awesome perspective. I mean, so just listening to, to everything we talked about and just recapping, um, is there any advice that you can give to, you know, spouses who are in the military or, um, you know, women that are dating, it could be men that are dating uh, people in the military. Any, is there any advice that you can give them as far as, you know, how to, how to support their loved one that that's serving? Um, I don't know. Yeah. You should support them in everything they do. Stay, focused when they're deployed on you know life in general don't let I don't know you caught me off guard with this one um don't let it stay focused on them don't let the world get to you and all the stuff that is happening in the world you just have to stay focused on what you want for each other um if you're dating somebody before you get married fully realize the scope of what you would be getting yourself into because with the military, they don't, as much as they say they care about you and it's not that they don't care about you, but the military does come first and they, the military makes it that way. Not the person in the military, but like there will be times when they have to do things that is not going to work out for your family perfectly, but you just have to be able to support them in that. And then, um, make friends with other military spouses, which is, not always easy, but you will eventually find some that you get along with. 
and um, you can create a really good, strong core group of people because I think those people are the ones that help me out the most. Like before, during, after, like the whole ball game. I mean, I'm still friends with so many people that I met that were military spouses. I appreciate, I appreciate you having you on today and um, I appreciate the insight. And I know this took us a while to get you on and you're busy and I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to talk to me. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry it took me so long. I don't really like the sound of my own voice, so that's why I kind of put it off for a little bit. <laughs> you sound fine. Well, everybody's going to hear the sound of your voice soon, so <laughs> it'll be on the radio. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, April. Oh, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye. That was an in- insightful interview uh, done by you and, and April Bittner. I think that's a, a uh, an angle that people don't really see or hear from unless you're in the community. And I think it's a good thing that people kind of get a reality check and, and know what it's really like coming from the inside. So we, we appreciate April Bittner coming on and, and talking to you. So, Mike, I'm going to hand it over to you. And uh, you, you wanted to discuss something involving the VA. This week, I talked to a uh, guy named Travis. And so for guys who, who aren't tracking this, uh, guys and gals, uh, on my webpage, you can go on fieldcraftsurvival.com in the store. And I actually offer consultations that I do for one-hour blocks. And I've done a few of them so far. It's $100 for an hour. And basically, I sit down with you. We Skype and we talk about your goals and objectives. And it's, instead of, you know, I answer every direct message, I answer every email. But instead of uh, just talking philosophy, and instead of talking to, uh, small talk, uh, we could sit down with a pad and pen and kind of hash out training plans special forces preparation, you know, where, where guys are going and uh, guys and gals are going and advice and potential um, special operations. So I had Travis last weekend and I had a consultation with him. So Travis was a, a seven year 19 Delta, which is a calf calf scout uh, that runs guns and brads and, and uh, you know, he, 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 and tanks and he basically got out of the military and I experienced the same thing, but he processed through veteran affairs where they diagnosed him with PTSD. Now, from my personal experience in the great state of Texas, is which where I, where I cleared from and where I've processed through veteran affairs, they're real good to me. But I will say that when they sent me to the counselors and the veteran affairs uh, psychologist, immediately those guys or that gal, actually, she was a female psychologist, wanted to uh, diagnosed me with P- PTSD. And it's almost like based on my history, based on my past, based on what she had in paper, she expected me to have PTSD. And I told her I don't have PTSD. And I had to almost convince her. Um, it, it took a lot of actual convincing to tell her that I didn't have PTSD. I remember walking into the office and there was construction going on and I heard a loud bang and I turned around just to see what it was. And just that simple turnaround, she she talked to me and said, so you're feeling kind of on edge, aren't you? And immediately started going into this snowball effect of, hey, you might be suffering from PTSD because you're a combat vet. You have, you know, a dozen deployments downrange and you've, you've got to have it because nobody else because because everybody who goes to combat has got to have it. So I kind of dealt with that. 
and Travis was in the same similar situation with pain in his back. He had an injury, and then Veteran Affairs diagnosed him with uh, PTSD, and he went through the system. Well, Travis, being still being young in his 30s, wanted to go back into the army and serve. Well, based on his record, you know the the HIPAA laws don't don't uh, don't count with the military, and they looked up his his records and basically said, hey. We can't let you back in based on your mental health issues. So obviously that's a problem. I, I, I don't know the exact answer to fixing that problem, to addressing it. But I will say that, you know, based on my understanding of it, if a soldier is diagnosed with PTSD, you know, it, there, there's got to be an end state and getting them through that, you know, that therapy, that uh, retraining, that whatever it is to get them back to being healthy and, and, and not suffering from that post-traumatic stress. But there's no actual system that's in place to say that, hey, this guy's good to go and he can continue to serve. So to me, it's appalling to have, you know, Travis tell me his story, which there's two sides to every story. But when Travis tells me his story on the surface, basically Veteran Affairs is is – you know, an obstacle in him being able to serve his country. And the recruiters have pushed it to the top. There's no waivers available. And now we have a guy who's a combat veteran, who's a senior uh, lower enlisted guy who could potentially serve in combat operations and and, and different mission sets and, and do something good for the military. He's now stuck in a rut where he can't do anything. And I, I just think it's unfair. So I'm not sure where it goes from here. I'm not sure what the, what the fix is. You know, I, I always believe in, in nonprofits and private enterprises to address a lot of social, economic, larger issues that the government just can't handle because they don't have the capacity to do so. So um, if anybody has any ideas or anybody wants to hit me up, um, we just need to bring more attention to it. And PTSD is a, is a significant issue that I like to address in any, any way I can. And uh, I don't know. It's just a good talking point and something that we need to bring up in a, in a future episode. Yeah, it's, it's definitely relevant. And it's, it's something, you know, with the, after, you know, 14 years of war, a, a lot of guys are coming home from war and they're getting out and they have to figure out how to deal with this transition. But I, it's just interesting that because of your service record, she's going to say, oh, you have PTSD and try to diagnose you. So, you know, with that kind of mind, with that mentality, basically every guy who's coming back from combat deployments has PTSD and therefore they're not fit. To, you know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. Like you want guys who have experience and know how to how to work and how to operate in, in war zones. And, and you want those guys teaching the younger guys and, and leading the way. So... It's just interesting how, you know, how that works. So we, we're going to talk about PTSD in the future, and we're going to have some interesting guests on who can give some good perspective on, on the issue. So we just want to thank everybody for listening in. You can catch Mike on his website at fieldcraftsurvival.com. Mike's Facebook is Fieldcraft LLC, and his Instagram is Soft Survivor. That's S-O-F Survivor. My website is globalrecon.net. My Instagram is IG Recon and my Facebook is FB Recon. Like I said earlier in the show, 
all the comments on iTunes, the shares, the downloads, the, sub- the subscribes, it helps us out. So we encourage you guys to do it. And in return, we can give you guys the best show possible. So we'll see you guys in a couple of days with another episode. And we hope you enjoyed it. Peace.